Welcome to the Princeton Public Library Teen Podcast, hosted by me, Lily, alongside... Olivia! So, Olivia, what have you been up to? I have been reading a lot lately. I think I went through five books in the past week, which is insane for me, and I really don't know how I did it. I'm very proud of you, because I, <laughs> like, I don't know where you find the time for this. <laughs> I don't know either. Sometimes I think I'm just late at night laying in my bed and grabbing the books and then don't stop don't realize the time so I think that's how I do it but you know when there's that book that is just so good you can't stop why stop I fully agree with you and that must have been those must have been a couple pretty good books no they they really were you know let me think what was it oh I read um Heartless by Marissa Meyer which was interesting yeah, good take on Alice in Wonderland. Had me had me going steadily through. And then I read Strange Truth and Strange Lies by Maggie Thrash. And let me tell you, my mind was blown. I totally understand where you're coming from because Strange Truth and Strange Lies happen to be two of my favorite books of all time. And we happen to be talking to Maggie Thrash today. And I'm looking forward to it so much. So exciting. I am just, I can't even speak, which probably isn't a good sign. That I can't speak already, and we're at minute one. But <laughs> but we hope you guys enjoy this. We have read all of her books, and we found all of these different qualities and aspects of her books that we needed to know more about. So we're asking her all of the questions that we've been dying to ask her for ever since we read her books. So we hope you enjoy. Stay tuned if you want to hear this incredible interview. Nice to meet you, Lily and Olivia. Thank you for inviting me. This is such an honor. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I'm starstruck. (laughs) That's very sweet. (laughs) So is there anything you would want to say to start to introduce yourself? Well, I'm Maggie Thrash, the author of Honor Girl, Lost Will Be at Peace, as well as two uh, YA mystery books. I have kind of a there are a lot of different kind of things I like to write about. So sometimes my books don't really make sense together because they're so different. But um, but yeah, that's me. And then I also have a webcomic, uh, Cure for Desire, that's going to be um, starting again soon. Awesome. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast. You Your books are incredible, and they've truly changed my life. I don't think I'd be the same person without them. <laughs> I really wouldn't. So thank you so much. <laughs> that is amazing to hear. Thank you for reading because, I mean, readers change my life. So know that it's quite mutual. So I guess we'll just dive right in. Our first question is that your books convey such depths of emotion in a way that is both realistic and also gives hope to the reader. And to me, it feels like you help the reader to understand that while there is suffering and people do suffer, you're not alone in your suffering. So I was wondering how you incorporate this into your books. That's such an amazing question, and I really appreciate that my books make you feel that way. That's extremely flattering as an author. So first off, thank you for saying that. And um, so do you remember the character of my brother in Honor Girl? Yeah. Drew? Well, Drew, um, a couple years ago, came out as transgender. So Drew is a she now. Drew, So I'll be referring to her as Sky. And that was a really cool development for me because now we're like queer sisters. <laughs> and really cool. Um, but something happened to her in high school where she was in love with this beautiful cheerleader and the cheerleader kind of 
casually offered her an invitation to come to this club dancing and sky didn't have a ride and sky hitchhiked to get to this club and it was going to be like she was so excited about it and then when she got there the cheerleader had a date and it was clear that she was with someone else and it was just this profound disappointment and sky was really depressed she went to go get a coke from a coke machine and put the quarters in and then two Cokes came out. <laughs> and it was just like, she was so depressed and sad. But then there was just this moment of like horrible irony of like these two Cokes highlighting that she's in this moment where she's completely alone and has <laughs> no one to share the other Coke with. And it's both in that moment when she told me that story later, I was like, that moment is amazing because it's really depressing, but also funny. And I find that whenever I'm really suffering or depressed, I can usually find something that's either funny about it or something that's like ironic and weirdly beautiful about it. And that really gets me through. And so I, whenever I write something sort of depressing, I try to make sure there's some element of just that irony or humor there so that the reader doesn't feel like, it's just a desolate, the world is just this desolate hellscape. Like, there's always something funny <laughs> in these situations. That definitely comes across in your books, because you can be reading and understand the character and sympathize with them and be crying if you're me, and then you turn the next page and you're just laughing. And, oh. <laughs> and it really helps the readers so much, because we're not just... You could bring us down into the depths of emotion because you're that talented, but I'm glad that you lift us up a little bit. I'm going to bring you up a little bit, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to bring you down and just leave you there. I'm going to try and bring you up a little bit. And then hopefully, you know, you as the reader can take that into your own life where when you're having a moment of, you know, one of those two Coke moments, you can take that kind of skill set of being able to laugh a little bit because that will just get you through those really dark moments in your life. That's such a great answer. I'm, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I also feel like, comedy was something that was pretty prevalent in strange truth and strange lies and even though it's a mystery like i've read a bunch of books that have mystery but aren't really funny so how were you able to capture both of those in your book yeah it is difficult because you want there to be suspense and that bit of fright and terror which often is at odds with laughing and the key is to be able to have those two things exist side by side where I'm scared at how weird the situation is, but I'm also able to laugh at how absurd the situation is. I think it's something that I sometimes succeed at and sometimes don't, but it's something I just love to do. And in fact, I'm trying to write my first book right now that isn't funny at all. And I'm finding it really difficult. And I'm finding, like, I'll write something that really amuses me and I'll be chuckling. And then I'm like, wait, this book isn't supposed to be funny. Delete. And it's, it's really difficult because I just, I kind of compulsively like to seek out humor, even in scary situations, even in um, desperately sad situations. So sometimes I worry that it's a little bit of a crutch for me. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of working on whether I can turn it off and on or if I, I don't know, I don't know if I rely on it too much or if it's, it's, you know, a good habit. 
I know that I'm just a reader, but to me, I've never read a book as funny as yours. It is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to be funny in a book because they're just words on a page. You're not seeing people's facial expressions or anything. So if it's a crutch, then it's a crutch that takes a lot of time and hard work to develop. So I'm... Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Oh, our, our next question is that in your book, Strange Truth and Strange Lies, the characters, again, are both hilarious and they're also realistic. Like, Benny is kind of an oddball, yet readers can see some of the struggles he goes through and relate to them and sympathize with him. So how do you craft characters in a satirical novel and make them both funny but also realistic and people were able to empathize with? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. And... Um... It's, for me, I'm all about character when I write. I really don't care much about plot, which is, as a, you know, when, I, when you're writing a mystery, the plot is really important. So often my editors and agents give me a lot of help with plot because as an author, that's where I really just kind of go, I don't know, and I don't care sometimes. Like, I don't care what, the, what happens. I just, I just want to be in the characters' heads. That's what's most fun for me. And in terms of, you know, being, <laughs> as you put it, hilarious yet realistic, which I love that characterization, I'm so flattered. A lot of it has to do with always making sure my character feels grounded and consistent, especially when I'm throwing them into these incredibly wacky situations. Because I feel like as an author, it's like, you can pick one. You can have an absurd character or an absurd situation, but you cannot have one. So the crazier that the situation is, the more important it is that Benny feels real and that his reactions feel consistent with who he is. Same with Virginia. So that because if you don't have that groundedness, the whole scene just like flies off to Mars. So that kind of I try to push the boundary in terms of satire, in terms of humor, and in terms of weirdness when it comes to the setting. But with the characters, I take a lot from my, from my own psyche. I, I pilfer a lot from the psyches of the people closest to me. So, and I hope that that shines through. That it's just like, these are real people. Because a lot of time, you know, obviously, since I'm also a memoirist with Honor Girl... Obviously, I have no problem with taking real-life people and then just turning them into material. And I do that overtly with my memoir, but I do it covertly uh, with my mystery books. Are there any people in particular who you really base the characters off of in Strange Truth and Strange Lies? Well, Virginia is very me. <laughs> Virginia is very me. Which I think is, is sort of fun because I think there's a stereotype of an author as being more like a Benny, more like a serious, detail-oriented, kind of nerdy guy. But that's actually not me at all. I'm very <laughs> gossipy. I'm pretty extroverted. I'm very interested in, like, what everyone around me is doing. I always want the freshest gossip. I just love it. So... I think for me, it's been fun to kind of defy the stereotype of, of like the nerdy, quiet, serious author. Um, and then Benny is kind of a, a combination of a couple people that I know. Benny's, a lot of it is based on my best friend, Nico, who's been my best friend for years. He's this very serious, very quiet, 
but also ambitious guy, takes life very seriously. And then um, I also had a boyfriend, my first boyfriend when I was in seventh grade, who we both turned out to be gay in a hilarious <laughs> But he was just very gentlemanly, and he just seemed more grown up than the rest of us. Like, he would wear a suit and tie, and I just, he, he, I loved him so much, which was why I like seized on him and made him my boyfriend at the time. Cause I just wanted to you know, like access to that energy. So I'm, you know, I'm basing characters on people who are, you know, I'm interacting with today. I'm also basing characters on people I knew when I was 12. So <laughs> it's kind of this big whirlwind. And for me reading strange truth and listening and reading about Benny's descriptions of what he was wearing, I just burst out laughing a few times because you know, <laughs> you know, when he's going into that situation, you're like, oh, Benny, why are you wearing that? Benny, Benny, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a fun character to play with because since he's so self-serious, putting him in a situation where, like, he has to wear a tiara or he has to wear a pink polo. It's just like, it's so fun for me as the author. I love playing with Benny. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is when Benny and Virginia, I think they're at a country club and Virginia's like, cross your legs. Not like that, you're like a girl. And I, to this day, I'll just be doing something and think about it and I'll just start laughing. It's so- Oh, I love that. <laughs> Because I have little things where it's like something an author wrote sticks with me and I think about it on a daily basis for some random reason. And I love that I've been that author for you where it's just like, it's just one of those random things that keeps coming up in your brain. That's great. <laughs> so I recently read Strange Truth and I'm one of those people that's very observant when it comes to the, the cover. I sometimes do pick out those books, you know, just because of the cover. I'm one of those people. But <laughs> covers, covers are, I mean, no shame. If a cover speaks to you, that's real. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't know. I do have some very, I have a very, very interesting, you know, like aesthetic going on in my room here with all these. You're just, you're a visual person and you're called to the mood that a cover evokes. So yeah, there's no shame in that. <laughs> but I wanted to ask, because I happened to notice that your book, The Strange Truth said, I believe we know it was you in tiny print. I'm like, hmm, I wonder. So what happened? Like, did, was there a name change that must have happened, I guess? And Yes, we had a total rebranding. And what's fascinating about talking to you two is you seem to have responded so much to the humor and the satirical elements. And what happened with We Know It Was You was that a lot of people did not respond to the humor. A lot of it got some sort of bad reviews of people being like, is this supposed to be funny? And I was like, yes, it is. A lot of people didn't get it. And of course, the timing was a little weird because it came into the world, I believe, the year Donald Trump was elected. <laughs> Not in a funny mood at all. Totally justifiably. But I think people's senses of humor like temporarily died. And so the original title was We Know It Was You. And the original cover was more, it was brighter colors. It was more like, this is going to be like a fun book. But then it had such a poor reception that we changed it to Strange Truth. And we went with a way like darker cover elements. And it sort of worked. Strange Lies, people seem to understand that book a lot better than the first one. 
but it wasn't enough to, I don't know if y'all know that the Simon Schuster who published the series uh, canceled it. So there will be more books eventually. Like I'm not giving up on these because I love the characters so much and I know what I want to happen, but it may be a little while and I'll probably just like release it for free. Um, or if I become, if something else I write becomes really successful and then some, so, suddenly Simon Schuster's like, please come back to us. But for the moment, unfortunately it's on hold, but I'm working on some other really cool stuff. So it's not, you know, I always say like failure is good um, in moderation, because if you, you know, if, if Strange Truth and, and Strange Lies had really took, took, taken off, I would probably still be writing that series, which would be fun. But since then, with kind of the failure of that series, it's forced me out of my comfort zone. And I've been writing some really different stuff that I'm excited uh, to get into the world soon. So that was a very rambling answer, but basically we had a branding change um, because no one got the sense of humor. It didn't really save the series, but that's okay because it's enabled me to like try different things. And I always love trying new things as an author. I'm so glad you can find the silver lining. And also it is the best news I've ever heard, maybe in my entire life, that you're planning on continuing the series, even if it's at some point, even if it takes 50 years, that I feel like I was just smiled at by God. <laughs> That's how much those books mean to me. So well, I'm, I, I'm not giving up on these characters, and I'm glad um, I'm glad that you're still going to be there in 50 years when the third book comes out. <laughs> you know, I, finished, I finished Strange Lies, and I text Lily, and I'm like, where, where's the next book? Hello? You can't, you can't leave me on this cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, I, I still get emails at least, you know, every couple of weeks from someone being like, where's the third book? And it's always like such a bummer because I have to tell them, sorry, my publisher abandoned me, but one day, one day. <laughs> Writing is a tough business and publishing is tough business. And you have to like, you have to be willing to get punched in the face and then just spring right back up and be like, okay, I'll write something else. I'm not just going to disappear. I'm glad you're so resilient because <laughs> I'm... I try. It's hard. It is hard. I'm making it, I'm making it seem like I'm just like, and then I just pop back up. Like many tears occurred first. Much Many tears and flopping around on my floor being like, everybody hates me. Like I went to that first and then I got up. To all of your readers everywhere, I speak for them. It's definitely, it's worth it to us. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. And I wanted to go back to something you said about how Virginia reminds me of you, because Virginia also reminds me of me. She's kind of, you know how there's the I'm not like other girls trope, where you don't <laughs> seek attention and you don't want to be, you're pretty, but you don't know it. Virginia is the complete opposite of that. She loves attention. She loves gossip. And I feel like it's kind of telling young girls, hey, it's okay to be a normal teenage girl. It's not a negative quality, because Virginia is so headstrong. And she forges her own path, and she really inspired me to just stop caring about what other people thought, which just sounds so simple, but it took, it took reading a book with a character like that for me to finally understand, oh, nobody really cares what I do. And so I was wondering how you crafted such a strong female lead who breaks the mold and inspires girls to just do what they want. Well, that I... I'm so touched by everything that you've just said and that the character of Virginia inspired you. And it's especially flattering since, as I said, like Virginia's kind of based on myself. 
<laughs> so I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm just incredibly touched. So I appreciate that. And I really did want to create a character who's cool kind of just because she's doing what she wants and she's not gonna, you know, she, she's not going to pretend that she does it. She's not interested in other people's stuff and that she, you know, isn't interested in other people's clothes. And, you know, she, it's, so I'm glad that that came through for you. And Virginia, she, she's probably one of my favorite characters to write. And I, I also relate to her in the sense that I think a lot of where her, that headstrong nature that she, she has comes from being fairly, feeling fairly alone in the world. And, you know, she has this sort of, she's in the boarding school and she's, it's sort of mysterious where her mother is and where her father is and where her stepfather is. Like, it seems like she's had to fend for herself. And even though that wasn't my situation in high school, my parents were very hands-off. Like, they kind of ignored me for most of my teenage years. And we have a great relationship now as adults, but I think my parents just had no idea how to relate to a teenager. So they just basically didn't speak to me for four years. And... I just kind of had to learn that, you know, you can't force your parents to care about you. You can't force your friends to care about you. I remember when I came out as a lesbian in high school, most of my friends were like, well, you're probably just bisexual. Like, you, you, it's probably just a phase. And I was just sort of like, all right, I can't force them to take me seriously. I just have to take myself seriously. I just, I just have to be on my own path. And so I really wanted to infuse that into Virginia. And I'm glad to hear that I succeeded. <laughs> you did. Jennifer's great. I also got that sense. I feel like a lot of times when there's strong female characters, they have something defining about them. Like, you know, with Katniss Everdeen, she's really skilled in certain areas. And I think what Virginia also did for me is she's special in her the way that she's able to tackle situations with that headstrong mentality but nothing else is amazing about well she's an amazing character but she doesn't have some amazing quality about her that she's a black belt in karate or something (laughs) she's just a cool she's just a fun girl yeah so I really I felt for her and it like Lily said, it helped me to realize that people don't care a lot of the time. And I think we think that they do. And then it prevents us from doing things. I'm like, oh, Virginia can do this. Great. Well, then so can I. (laughs) Realizing that most people are so self-centered that they're not thinking about you at all. Like weirdly freeing. It's like, oh, no one cares. It's like, yeah. And I, I also love, um, watching Virginia through Benny's eyes because Benny at first doesn't really appreciate her, what she brings to the table and watching him, you know, come slowly become aware of this like cool factor that we're talking about that isn't, you know, it's not Katniss Everdeen, but it's still really cool and valuable. That, that was really fun as a writer. And their dynamic is so unique because usually it's the guy who's willing to go out and do things. And Benny's like, I think we should do this, but I'm kind of nervous. And Virginia's like, back off. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And it's just like, I think we need more data points. And she's like, let's just do it. Yeah, she's like, let's just do it. You're right. She's more of like the Han Solo in the relationship. I also wanted to talk about your graphic memoirs because I am not really a fan of graphic novels. And 
I don't know, something about your graphic memoir, I was like, wow, this is really good. And I don't know, did you originally intend on writing a memoir and then you wanted to add art to it? Or did it just kind of become, well, I want to write a graphic memoir? No, it's exactly um, how you described it at first. I wanted to write a memoir and then it became graphic. So I come from a place of, I think of myself as a writer, not an artist. And I've been writing my whole life, but I have not been doing art my whole life. But um, when I wrote my memoir about my summer camp love, I wrote like two pages of it. And I was just astounded by how terrible it was. (laughs) And I couldn't figure out why, because I was like, I'm a pretty good writer. Why can't I write about myself? Why can't I write about my personal experiences? And then I gave it to my best friend, Nico, my Benny. (laughs) And he was the one who said, this seems like a bunch of snippets of like scenes. You should try making it into a comic. And that would have never occurred to me. And then I just tried it. And I found that um, comics and art was an amazing way to express really personal stories and it was a lot easier than writing. Having that ability to kind of get outside myself allowed me to be more objective. It also allowed me to be more vulnerable. So I think I still, my main passion is writing and just sentences. Um, but when it comes to telling something really personal, I think I will always use comics and art. And that's something that I noticed when I was reading. I would read the words, and then I would look at the images, and there was, sometimes it just conveyed with all the colors, and sometimes you were alone, and there were people around you, but it was very clear that you were alone, and things like that. The images just gave me a feeling of your emotions in that moment, in a way that the words, they did, but then the words combined with the art, I... That's that's what made me cry, really. When I was reading the books, it was like, I'd read the words, I'd be on the verge, and then I looked at the images, and I was like, nope, we're gone. We're gone. And then the image took you over the edge. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and that's, that's, honestly, that is a really good description of how I feel about graphic novels, where for me, it's still about the writing, but then hopefully the art, it just puts you over the edge. It's not doing the heavy lifting, but it's just giving you that little push <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's a that's a really great insight um, that I hadn't really thought about my own work. So I, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and also in your graphic memoirs, Honor Girl Must Will Be at Peace, you vividly capture teen emotion and depression. And I don't you I don't think you wrote them when you were a teen. So I was wondering how you were able to preserve your teen experiences after you had them on the page so authentically. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I'm not sure exactly what my answer is other than that I don't think I ever really left my teenage self. I think I'm still 16 years old in my heart, and maybe just now I'm starting to grow up. I'm writing some of my first adult literature, um, but I really just, it's very easy for me to access all of those feelings because I still have them. I still feel like pretty much the same person as I was when I was 16. Whereas I think a lot of people feel like their teen years, like they were practically a different person, but I'm like, no, it was me. That was me. So, and I just, I remember it so vividly, the emotions of those years. And at the time it was too painful to express, 
to really even talk about, much less to make like a long-term artistic project about. But as an adult, the one thing I have gained is an ability to kind of make art out of my pain. And I couldn't really do that as a teenager because the pain just felt too great. But, um, but yeah, I guess it's really just that I'm still kind of immature. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I was just a very mature teenager, and that's why I haven't changed. <laughs> to me, reading your books, you seem like a very perceptive, mature teenager. But maybe that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, I also think I flatter myself a little bit in my books. I was a little more obnoxious than I show. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> when it, in putting myself out there so much... It's like, okay, I can I can be a little nice to myself. I can, like, make my haircut look a little better than it actually did at the time. Like, I just, I give myself little treats because I'm like, all right, this work is really hard, and I'm really putting myself out there. I'm just going to give myself really great skin. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, I like that. Because <laughs> I've seen some graphic memoirists and they make themselves look horrendous. And then I meet them in person and I'm like, wait, you're incredibly good looking. Your cartoon self is horrible looking. <laughs> no, that's how I look. And I'm like, Tam, I feel like I make my cartoon self like I, I, I always flatter myself. <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of people see themselves in a much more negative light than the rest of the world does. So maybe you think of it as being too nice, but everyone else just sees it as just you on the page yeah maybe and I think there's a little bit of that Virginia mentality too where it's just sort of like Virginia isn't gonna waste time beating herself up over stuff that doesn't matter she's got like bigger more fun fish to fry so <laughs> Virginia is also my hero <laughs> yeah thinking I about not beating yourself up is definitely something a lot of people need to learn so having a character who unabashedly just loves herself no matter what is something so rare. Yay! <laughs> and and also, I think the fact that you took on these darker topics, depression, and, you know, it, it just, it helps people realize this is real. People go through it and read about it, and there's hope at the end. And that's something that for me, I mean, I feel like we all kind of struggle with our inner demons, but reading about it isn't something that's so common. So when you get the opportunity to, you're like, wow, okay, there's hope out there, and that's great. That's wonderful. And it, and what, what I find interesting is that Honor Girl overall is a more fun book than Lost Soul Be at Peace, but Lost Soul Be at Peace has a far more uplifting message at the end. So again, with what we were telling, what we were talking about at the beginning, it's like, if I drag you down, I promise I'm going to give you a little something at the end. I'm not just going to leave you there. <laughs> And that's also another thing that's so rare in so many books. The authors just damage their characters and bring you down into all this negative emotion, which does have some power, but to me it's almost completely useless unless you give somebody some form of happiness because readers, they want their lives to be changed. They want to feel like they got something out of your book instead of just, you know, being sad the whole time. And with your books, there's such a nice balance and they... I feel like they're more realistic than books that just deal with plain trauma and don't talk about the funny aspects of it because 
that's really the real experience is you can be sad but then you can also laugh sometimes and you can find the iron you can find the two coke bottles and i yeah. feel like that's like authors sometimes don't even realize that that's something you can include in your books so your books are so unique in that regard well thank you so much i'm so glad that you appreciate about it because that's it's an aspect that's incredibly important to me as a creator and, and an author um it's because, you know, life doesn't, life experiences don't have genres. It's not like, you know, you have this period where only these terrible negative things happen, but nothing funny happened at all. And on the other side of the coin, there's rarely times when it's just like, oh, it was all just the rom-com of my life and nothing, <laughs> there was no downer moment. It was all just fluffy unicorns for a couple of <laughs> months. Like, it's all mixed together and we have to be able to acknowledge it um, all at the same time. And I think too, then when you, give a book a genre, I guess there's some kind of expectancy when you hear the word thriller. Oh, there's not going to be anything funny in there. So the fact that you go beyond that and you combine makes your books so unique and like a multi-genre. Oh my gosh, y'all are so nice. (laughs) Y'all are seriously the dream reader because when you write something like this, that's the reader you want is someone who can appreciate the disparate elements and the kind of like unconventionality you want the reader who actually like really values that and isn't just like, wait, I don't get this. I thought that I thought I picked it up on the thriller shelf, you know? So yeah. I, I, I appreciate you as much as you appreciate me. Trust me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel like um, I was, Oh wait, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go Lily. <laughs> I feel like I, as a reader was yearning for something like that. Like all the books I picked up were kind of the same. And then I read your books and I was seeing all these different elements. And I just wanted to write like essay upon essay about everything <laughs> in your books and why I love them. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, I also want to talk about your podcast because I was, you know, looking around the website, trying to find some more Maggie Fash, and I discovered this podcast. And so I actually, I know it surrounds Dawson's Creek the first season, which funny story I've never read, I've never seen on Netflix, but then I I was like, oh, I'll try this out. So I'm actually now on the first season of Dawson's Creek. Oh, nice. Um, Nice. But I did listen to part of when you were talking about Twilight and so interesting because I I read Twilight you know I feel like it's one of those books where there's so much hype around I don't know I was I loved it then I read it again and was like what is this but I love (laughs) you talking about it and I just wanted to hear why you started a podcast because I know Lily and I talked about why we started a podcast on our podcast but why did you start one I probably started for for similar reasons um, as you in that I just had so many thoughts that I couldn't contain them anymore. I was just like, I don't care if any, I don't care if not a single person listens to this Dawson's Creek podcast. I just have to express this. I have to talk about Dawson's Creek and same with Twilight. I was just like, I can't contain it anymore. I have so many thoughts and a lot of times it's, the things that I feel the need to podcast about are often things where there's a lot of cultural conversation and that there was a lot of cultural conversation about Twilight. Mm-hmm. And yet I never heard my own perspective being represented. I just felt like I was hearing the same rhetoric over and over. And I was just like, I, I just have to add another, I just have to say, I just have to say my Twilight thoughts. <laughs> so basically that's kind of, my advice to anyone, you know, doing a podcast, if you don't have to do it, don't do it. 
But like, if you are just bubbling over with thoughts or passion, then do it, do it. Don't <laughs> anybody listens to it. But if it's more just like, oh, I want to start a podcast because podcasts are popular. What should I do? It's kind of like, all right, do we really, do we really need just like a random podcast? But if you're starting from like passion, whether it's passion for literature and books um, or passion for, for Dawson's Creek, <laughs> then I think um, your, the podcast, if there, if it has passion, it will have, the podcast will definitely have merit. Wow. That's great advice. That, that is great. very good advice. <laughs> when we started a podcast, I may have had a couple of ulterior motives. One of them was getting you on the podcast. But, <laughs> but mostly <laughs> passion. I respect that immensely. <laughs> and I know that you mentioned this a while ago, but I was wondering, have you written anything new from for the Strange Truth series? Because um, I know you said you would in the future write something else have you even written like a paragraph a snippet i have not written a paragraph oh my so sorry to disappoint i have written um i've been working on some really different stuff i've been mm -hmm. i've been trying to get into adult which has been really interesting and then i also have written a uh young adult werewolf book that hopefully will come into the world when <laughs> i'm on like the final drafting stage of that so i'm I've just been trying out a lot of different stuff, but no, I have not written a sentence of it new. <laughs> Can you share anything with us about your other works that you're working on? Well, my adult books, I, so I, I was in this weird state this year because I was working at two, on two different projects at the same time. One was an adult heterosexual vampire book, and the other was a young adult homosexual werewolf book so it was just like <laughs> really interesting kind of like whiplash going back and forth between those projects and I will say that for the third book of um Strange Truth whenever I get there I'm su surprisingly I love Virginia and I love Benny obviously but probably the character I'm most excited to revisit is Calvin Calvin oh my gosh really I know you're gonna say that <laughs> I'm really excited to get Calvin's story going again. I picked a, doing a report on a scientist because his name was Melvin Calvin, and I was just thinking about Calvin the whole time. And, and it was a very dry report, but I have no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> I noticed that when you were um, publicizing your book, Lost Soul Be at Peace, because I was waiting in anticipation the entire time, you put on your website, tell me a secret, and allowed your readers to tell you a secret, and then other people visiting the website could see the anonymous secrets. I think I told you a secret. I don't know what it was, but I'm pretty sure I did. So I was wondering why you did this and how it tied into your books. Yeah, well, I, you know, so much of Strange Truths, it's kind of the one thing that links my two worlds because I have my mystery world and then I have my memoir world and what links them is people who have secrets and people who feel kind of disconnected from each other and when I was growing up with the internet like in the late 90s early aughts it was still a time where everyone was anonymous you would have your weird username that was like wolf child seven <laughs> And there was, like, a really amazing freedom in that. And that anonymity on the internet is largely gone. And I really wanted to create a space where people could just, like, 
be controversial and just anonymously dump their secrets, even if they were like kind of like not cute secrets, but like because so, some of the secrets I would get were really dark. But I had I made a policy of I never censored anything, no matter how dark and weird the secret was. I left it on there, even though my mom was horrified. She would be like. This is your website, and this is horrible things. You have to stop this. But I was like, no, mom. Like people, people are entitled to, you know that that's what the space is for. So, um, yeah, it was it was really just about like giving people an invitation to just face their own darkness and just to write it and hit enter and see the words on a space. Like, I just feel like I really need that sometimes. And I know young people, I think young people today are experiencing such intense pressure to be perfect. And I was just like, if I can do anything, it would be to provide a space for young people can just be really dark <laughs> and, and feel safe because it's, you know, their name isn't attached to it. I remember reading those secrets and a lot of them, probably not the very dark ones, I didn't come across those, but I thought, oh my goodness, I relate to that. I didn't know someone felt the same way I did. And it did feel very safe. I, I felt like you were like holding all of our secrets and, and guarding us and helping lift this weight off of our chests. So Oh, that's, and yeah, that's, I really, I love that you feel that way because that's, it was also just like, I'm Maggie Thrash, like, if you like my books, you have permission to just like unload on me and I, and I will guard them. And there's over like 2000. And I, even though they're not, it, this, um, aspect of my website isn't active anymore. I still have them all. So I still, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm hanging on to these secrets forever. So I am, I am guarding them. <laughs> That's very cool. That is very cool. I think a lot of times, too, we're all told, oh, whatever you put out there stays out there forever. And that scares me. And I think it scares a lot of people. So just knowing that there's this medium where people could put something that they thought was pulling them down out there. I, I love that. It's oh, so great. I'm so glad that y'all appreciated that. <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I now really want to know what Lily's secret was. She <laughs> it was probably about friend problems because um, I, I'm a girl and I was in middle school. So, I mean, what really, what else could it have been? <laughs> yep, middle school friend problems. I remember well. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, thinking about you as a writer and your writing process I know a lot of writers may have their sacred space where they go and craft their I don't know their stories but do you have a place like that where you just go and things pour out for you or not really well I have I, my workspace is in my bedroom so to me I and to me I'm a workaholic like my life is writing it's the thing that's most important to me so I feel no need to like separate my living space from my workspace because I'm like work is my living space. This is my this is how I live. So you know my my desk is six feet away from my bed, and I just wake up in the morning and go straight to my desk and get to work most days. I feel like That's a lot of authors are always stressed about their work and complaining about deadlines and things like that. And I've heard them speak, and I'm like, do you like your work? But you I'm, like your job? I'm like, like do you? <laughs> so I'm glad that 
that you're like, yep, I want it right here. I want to look at it. I want to be near it all the time. That's very yeah, inspiring. I feel the exact same way when I hear authors, they're just like, oh, my crushing deadline. I'm just like, are you having any fun? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, your character, do they ever smile? Or do your characters <laughs> ever smile? <laughs> but it's definitely, it makes me feel like being an author, it's a lot of work and sometimes a lot of pressure, but it's less, it's less stressful and all-consuming than other people would make it seem. <laughs> That's really well, yeah. If you really are called to do it, then the work itself is often de-stressing because you're like getting all of your emotions off your chest and you're expressing all of these pent up ideas and feelings and you actually feel better at the end of the day. I don't think I've I'm ever heard it like that before. It's very, very interesting and very, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm also curious to know when you discovered that writing was something that you were good at or when you realized you really wanted to be a writer? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, and it ties back to your first question um, about the Coke. <laughs> the Coke. <laughs> because I grew up watching my older sibling write and Sky, who was then Drew, was, you know, always writing science fiction novels and just, we got a computer when I was 10 years old and Sky just spent every day working on projects in the basement. And it really inspired me that like, oh, I can write now. I don't have to wait until I'm older or smarter or more qualified. I can start a novel at age 14 because Sky is doing it. And I often wonder if I hadn't had that profound example of a, t of a you know, a middle schooler and then a high schooler just diligently working on their own projects every day, if I would even be a writer if it would have ever occurred to me. But since I had that amazing example in my life, I was just like, well, now this summer I'll write my novel. <laughs> I'm so glad that you had that experience. Oh my goodness. Me too, me too. <laughs> and experience, just like, not only the inspiration of, oh, Drew, you know, Sky has the guts to get going on their project, but also seeing that what that required was Sky spending every day in front of a computer. That, you know, it wasn't, it, it didn't look, it, it, you know, it wasn't a parade every day. It was very boring, a person and a computer for hours on end. So I got to really see what the process was like and understand that without any kind of delusion about how much work it was going to be. Wow. Sky, I'm I'm proud of Sky. Look at her go. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like yeah. <laughs> you're you're really a dynamic duo. <laughs> yeah, we really are. We really are. And I'm I'm super proud of her. I think that's all of the time that we have, but I was wondering is there anything else you would like to say before we close out? Anything to plug? Just to reiterate my appreciation for you two as passionate readers and intelligent readers and compassionate readers, um, it really, it is what we live for as authors. So it just, I'm, I was thrilled to have this conversation with you two and these were amazing questions. So I, I think that I, I wish you every luck with your podcast because I think that y'all really have a great knack for this. And and where can people find you if they're like, oh my God, Maggie Thash is my life now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much all my work is, um, you can find it on maggiethrash.com. All my, all my junk is on there. So there, I've got all my links and everything. 
even some of my older short stories are on there. So just MaggieThrash.com. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I think the moral of this story is you need to go read some Maggie Thrash. Definitely. So for our book recommendations this episode, we decided to pick two books that are a little bit genre non-conforming, just like Maggie Thrash's books. And the book that I am picking is... Last Scene Leaving by Caleb Roig, and this follows the story of a closeted gay teen dealing with his girlfriend's disappearance, and this book really is about the boy's journey of discovering himself and accepting himself, while also trying to figure out what happened to this person he really cared about. And it's a little bit irreverent, and to me, it's a delight to read, and it's very captivating, just like Maggie Thrash's books. So if you're a fan of her work, or if this just sounds a little bit interesting to you, I would recommend picking it up. Awesome. Well, the book I'm recommending is The Deceivers by Kristen Simmons, and it follows Bryn Hilder, who is recruited to a prep school called Vail, and she is a con artist on the side of all of her schoolwork and trying to find some money because she's in a rundown neighborhood. And this book was really interesting. I think it definitely incorporates coming of age. There's a love triangle. You know, all my books kind of have that love triangle going, but it's great. And I don't know. I feel like she is trying to find herself and discover the difference between right and wrong as she navigates this, you know, the teen experience. And it's just a great book. I, Lily recommended it to me and it just, it had that deception. That book felt like a TV show. It was so captivating and I just thought it was so fun. And Maggie Thrash's books are very, very fun, and they're definitely quick reads. So if you like Maggie Thrash's books, if you like her vibe, check out her books first, and then read our recommendations. Yeah, I'm so happy to have been able to have this conversation with Maggie, and this was a great episode. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye!